first reading today is from Exodus. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought, out of the, brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the inequity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, or your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so long as your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbors. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Christ, the power and wisdom of God. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Nice job, guys. Thank you. So uh, if you've not been with us, we're in Lent. It started 75 years ago, it feels like. It's been quite a Lenten season, hasn't it? Uh, this is the third Sunday, actually. And I think the question that the, the, the lectionary readings, if you're not familiar, we are following uh, the lectionary fairly closely through this season, now all the way up through Pentecost. Uh, it's just kind of this experiment that we're playing with and frankly seems meaningful. But it seems like the, uh, the question that the lectionary is really kind of putting out in front of us this week and those selections of readings is this, uh, to the extent that you have this need for wisdom, uh, to where do you turn? 
Like to the extent that you need insights, uh, whether it's in a marriage or in parenting, whether it's in your finances, whether it's navigating this grand opportunity, uh, to what extent are you aware of this opportunity for wisdom and, and, and where do you go for it? Uh, some of you may remember two weeks ago we did our last family Sunday, which was super fun, at least it was for most of us. And uh, you may, if you weren't here, what you need to know is we gave kids M&Ms in lieu of communion that week. So there's kind of, well, it wasn't necessarily, it didn't have to be in lieu, but it was this thing uh, that we're doing. So last Friday, at this Think event we did at the Myrna, uh, this friend came up to me and he's like, hey, I gotta tell you this story. He said, I was getting ready to leave and my daughter, she's little, she said, dad, are you going to see that guy? And it took him a while to figure out she was talking about me and he, he said, Adam, and she said, yeah, that guy who talks about God. And, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, he'll be at the Myrna too. Yep, exa- exactly. And, and he said she got real serious and she said, uh, hey, you should listen to him. Because he'll give you M&Ms. <laughs> it's like our emotional manipulation tactics are working. It's perfect. Uh, it does speak to this, though, like maybe there's part of this heart of the child thing, and I'm not suggesting I'm the source, anything but, but there is this, there's this invitation to wisdom. And I think the, this morning, as we just kind of move through Lent and faith and what this all means, again, it's this invitation to go, so where do you turn and who do you turn to? I was thinking this week, just as I was trying to think of examples of like, just well-timed wisdom is such a gift. And several years ago, when I was just getting into mountain biking, I'd, I bought a pretty, uh, I bought a Santa Cruz that was like, which is a good brand, but it was like the lowest end brand. And the following Christmas, I had some cash because that's when you have that kind of spending money. I had some Christmas money and I went into uh, Big Sky and I was asking the guy's life in the shop there. I was like, I was just telling him, so I want to put this money in my bike. What, what should I put it in? And life is like one of the most intelligent humans on the planet, I think. And I had ideas. I thought I was going to get a new derailleur or something. And he, he goes, oh, Adam, he said, Put, put it into Shimano brakes. He said, no single thing you could do would change your riding style and just your confidence more than these brakes. And he's right. So much so that when I bought a new bike this last fall, I took my old brakes and brought them with me. And it's this trivial example of though, but can you think of examples? When you needed wisdom and it delivered. Like we can probably all think of examples where we needed it and, and we screwed it up, whether we asked for the wrong, from the wrong place or of the wrong person or we just didn't ask, we just went with our intuition and they failed us. But can you think of a time where you got good, one, good advice? I was talking to my friend Andy uh, recently who lost her husband a couple weeks ago and she was sharing with me that one of her friends who, uh, Dan Hill, I think it's okay that I name names here, who lost her husband a few years before that, she'd said to Andy, she said, Andy, uh, my advice to you was, was don't do anything drastic for a year. Like, don't sell anything, don't buy anything, don't quit a job, don't start a new job, don't sell a house, don't move. She said, just stand pat for a year. And you hear that and you just go like, oh, that sounds brilliant, doesn't it? What if there is this opportunity for wisdom and we often miss it? Uh, what, what if there's this opportunity and, and we don't always take it? Like tomorrow morning, if you woke up and your power didn't come on, it would be apparent quickly. And if you went to turn the faucet on and there was no water, you'd be bummed out. And if you went to start your car when you were leaving and it didn't start, that's a bad day. And I just wonder if, if, if we could like somehow mystically extract the wisdom of God provided by scripture and the people of God, like if it was no longer a part of the algorithm of how we make decisions and how we navigate life, like what would be the loss? 
Because that it seems like the psalm reading, that's what it's doing, is there's this invitation to just cyclically return to this reminder. And for some of you, you don't necessarily need a reminder. It's just the encouragement that that, that plowing you do every morning when you wake up and you read and you pray, like you'll never regret that time spent. Uh, the time you spend memorizing scripture was one of the things my friend Jim uh, shared with me is, man, when you're, when you're in that stage of pain and the oxy and all that kind of stuff, the only thing you've got, you, you can't even necessarily read, the only thing you've got, he said, is what you've memorized. In fact, I remember him saying, uh, I would be reading and he would go like, oh, look it, another word, because <laughs> you just can't focus long enough. So for some of you, I'm hoping this morning is just an encouragement. I, I'm so thankful for my friend Fred when I was 19 and just starting to get into the text and I was all kind of caught up in like, I don't know the Bible very well and I'm hanging around people who do and I feel like an idiot all the time. And Fred just said, Adam, just relax. Be faithful every day. Buy yourself 10 years and you'll be amazed what happens in that time. For some of you, there, it's probably an invitation. Uh, whether you're a Christ follower or not, uh, the text is just daunting and I think we can all appreciate why that is. But what, what, what if you have this grand opportunity to wake up in the morning and flip the light switch and the power comes on? And most humans who have ever lived didn't have that opportunity. You're a part of this season of human history where, where you can wake up in the morning and access this long, seasoned, vetted, divinely ordained book called the Bible. And not just that, a people, a people who themselves have been saturated in it. And for some of you, I suspect this morning, and this might require some spiritual direction or even a therapist, some of you, this might require you to kind of deal with some of your crap. Uh, because some of you, uh, you know too well that the Bible can be weaponized. And you've been on the receiving end of that, whether that was in your growing up or you had a bad church experience. And it's always possible that what actually happened was somebody was being faithful to truth and you didn't like that. I think we should always consider that when we think about our past hurts. But it's also possible that the Bible was just weaponized. And even if they were right, there was a tone that just wasn't right. I, I work really hard to not use the word biblical. I still do on occasion. I just did with Anna in a meeting on Friday. And it's not because I don't think of myself as someone who's submitted to the authority of the text. I do. But I think oftentimes when we use that word biblical, we're, we're using it more in like a kung fu fight than we are in a pastoral kind of shepherding, empathetic tone. There's this way of talking about, the, I'm, I'm ha actually having an email exchange, actually I ended it this morning with somebody uh, from, from a recent service and there's just a like, I told him, I think you're right. And I think your tone, in this case, it's just like the tone of your emails, it's just, it's, it's wrong. I mean, think about this, like, uh, God wants to tell you what to do versus, like, God wants to tell you what to do. Like, tone matters. It matters so much. And so for some of you, I, I grieve because I don't share your story. No one's ever hit me with the Bible. No one's ever shamed me with the Bible. Or maybe I just lack the empathy to know that's what was happening. That's also a real possibility. But there's this invitation. You know, you think about Exodus 20, and I was like, this is part of where I'm slightly persuaded by this kind of three-year cycle of scripture reading because I wouldn't read the Ten Commandments because I already know what they say. But when they came up for me months ago studying in advance, there was this realization of like, okay, I'm gonna read the Ten Commandments. 
But then there's this opportunity to stop and go like, okay, so what's the context here? I mean, it's, it's, it's a people who for longer than we've been a nation, all they knew was slavery. Some people think that the central message of Exodus was a God trying to communicate to the Hebrew people that you're of the same human quality as the Egyptians because it had just been so driven into them that you're less than. That Genesis and the creation, and it's not just kings and queens, but all people are made in the image of God. It's all a part of the story. And so God gets them out, if you will. They get rescued from slavery. But then, there's, then it's like, then what? And we've explored this in the past, that what's going on at Sinai is, is a Hebrew wedding ceremony. All the liturgical movements of a Hebrew wedding are there. It's a God saying, hey, I want, I'm gonna show you how to live. And again, think of tone. The Lord God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me. And you can read that in so many different tones. I have this internal bias that God is inherently invitational. I was listening even to some thoughts from C.S. Lewis on hell and he, just, he takes such a great exception to the idea that God sends anyone to hell. His posture is, no, 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 it's, it's not that people don't end up there, but his posture is God's love is such that there will be a point where if you ask him to leave you alone, he'll honor that. But it's such a different posture. Uh, John Lennox talks about, we we live in this privileged culture where the, the thought of a judge is only a threatening one. But if you live among the majority world and the majority of history who've only been on the bad side of power, then God the judge, it's not threatening. It's invitational. It's this opportunity to understand you'll get your justice. In fact, John Lennox was in a lecture or a debate, I think it was with Dawkins, and Dawkins said to him, he said, John, what we need is justice, and I'm gonna spend my life fighting for justice. And John Lennox, this great Irish apologist in his 80s, he said, I agree, Richard. Like, we all need justice, and we should spend time working for justice. And then he goes on to say, and you and I, we're a part of this privileged people that if we ever need it, we're gonna get ours. But most people who have ever lived have no shot at justice. And then he said, it just kind of makes the hair on the back of my neck rise up a little bit. He said, but I believe in a God who says decisively, everyone will get their justice. And he said, Richard, I think when God gives people justice, what unfolds there is gonna blow our minds and we're just gonna stand there in awe of a God who gives justice. What if this God is invitational? Christ seems to really capture the fact that this being human thing is difficult. It's not intuitive. Sin has corrupted. Evil is a real thing. And this God is trying to rescue and pull us out of that. I mean, listen to Psalm 19 again, and we're not doing anything that we haven't already read, but I just think, again, there's this, it opens with this beautiful rendition of creation, and kind of Paul keeps with this tone of capturing how creation tells the story of God. But it's no mistake that then the psalmist goes, we have creation, and then we have this remarkable thing 
called the text, the law, the Torah, the Tanakh in the Hebrew sense. We get to go the whole canon of the whole thing, the whole Bible. And listen to the way the Bible talks about itself. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, <clears throat> even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. I think the emotion there for me is this. <clears throat> so I, I've been thinking about Clint's funeral since like November. Um, I think that's morbid, but it's what I do. <clears throat> and, and so when everything happened last week and it's, Right, on the one hand, it's so sad, and on the other hand, it's like we're a part of a faith tradition that needs to do better than just sad. Like, we're not even on the map as a faith tradition if there's not this resounding laughter in the face of death. And so last weekend, I was trying to think about the funeral and distracted by my own kind of self-absorbed thoughts of what in the world am I going to say, and I had this sense, I, I, know how to, I know how to plan and how to schedule, I'd already kind of cleared out my afternoons, I knew I had time to prepare, and sometimes I'll just have this sense of God going, don't spend Sunday afternoon thinking about it, just trust the process, trust the process. So I wake up, woke up Tuesday morning in just my own little kind of pattern, <clears throat> and I went into my office, which is my deal, and one of the things I'm studying right now, we'll study together in June, is just gratitude. I, I think my, the mantra that I've taken from this season is just like, you, you might as well learn it while you're healthy, because uh, you're going to need it, and you can't learn it when you're, it's a lot harder to learn in those seasons, and I've just watched how gratitude carries so I decided I, I needed to start, I, the next kind of leg of my study was going to be praise and worship, um, probably should be excommunicated. I don't think I've ever spent extensive time just studying out like why and what and what does that look like. So my, uh, one of the ways uh, that a guy named Rob Bell taught me to study the Bible a long time ago, and by Rob Bell I mean indirectly, I don't have his phone number, um, was this, it's called the principle of first instance. And what it means is sometimes the way you can study something is you figure out where's the first time in the Bible it shows up and start there. So I did that. And the first time praise shows up in the Bible is in Exodus 38. It, it, it's, it's a gal named Leah who's kind of the unwanted uh, wife and, and she has a baby, I think it was Judah, and she praises God for that baby. Well, the Hebrew word there is a word made famous by Elaine Bennis. Anybody? Yada, 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 yada. What I didn't know is, is the word yada, it means to acknowledge or to confess. But more interesting to me, sometimes it's used to confess one's own sin, to acknowledge one's own faults. And sometimes it's used to praise God, to acknowledge God's faithfulness to you. And it struck me, and I'm just using myself as an example here of God's faithfulness, I think, when we avail ourselves to the text. And nobody bats a thousand, but you don't always feel good when you come home from the gym either. Like, nothing is always, all the time, fulfilling. But I left this time that was just supposed to be personal and a study that was going to happen in June, and I went like, that, that's it. Like, what we're going to do at noon today is a whole lot of yada, yada, yada. Because somehow we've got to give ourselves permission to name the crap. A 49-year-old dying of pancreatic cancer, there's, just, there's a lot of crap that comes with that. 
And I think we've got to give ourselves permission to, to name it. And in doing, we access and open up and facilitate the permission to also do the work of gratitude, to recognize God's faithfulness in Clint's life, to, to recognize the, the good that comes with the bad. What if God is standing by, just eager to guide and direct, not just through the text, but through the text and the, and the people of the text? And what if you have all the permission in the world to filter for tone? And frankly, it's, it's highly likely that you're gonna bump into people who they just read it a little bit differently, and that's okay. Humans are a diverse bunch. We can all be clinging to the same truth, but there can be some margins there. And to whatever extent we're looking for wisdom, I think what's going on in First Corinthians is this sense of, it's, it's like the EMC squared of the Bible. It's like everybody was studying physics and then along came Jesus. Like everyone was studying virtue and along came virtue. Because I think what Paul's doing here is going, to whatever extent we're in pursuit of wisdom, like Jesus gives us like top-notch wisdom. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now there's a couple ways to read that. One, of course, is the gospel itself, that, that this, this notion that God saves is itself laughable for some. Okay, but I think Paul's going deeper than that. I think what Paul's pointing to here, it, it goes even a little deeper than just that, that kind of you can be saved, which is no small thing. But look what he, he goes on to say in 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. What's the wisdom he's thwarting? Well, let's just read that paragraph one more time. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through, through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of, of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now watch verse 25. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. What if the wisdom of God is, is found in God's cruciform love? What, what if what Paul's saying here is like, like the top shelf wisdom is self-giving, self-sacrificing love? In other words, top shelf wisdom isn't necessarily always being right. It's putting a towel over your arm and dying first. And sometimes when we navigate wisdom, the foolishness of Christ, it would seem, is his answer would be, well, what does it look like to serve in this situation? What does it look like to not get your way in this situation? And yes, that, that can become uh, taken advantage of and abusive, and hopefully we can all kind of appreciate there's, there's, there's boundaries to this. But that the way of the cross doesn't just save in this kind of legal way, which it does, I believe that it does. It doesn't just win over evil, I believe that it does, but it also answers the question on the test, what would God do here? And the answer is, he would serve. Like that's top shelf wisdom. And actually that's what we get to participate in when we take communion. 
that there's this celebration of we didn't deserve this, we didn't earn it, but he did it for us. He was the first mover. We're responding to his moving towards us. And part of the design of this time is that we we confess our stuff. And part of the design of this time is we acknowledge God's forgiveness. And part of the design of this time is we remind ourselves that the wisdom of Christians is foolish. And it'll often make you look foolish. It'll often make you look weak. Because God would say, it's oftentimes gonna look like self-giving love. And remember, at the cross, God took evil's best punch and looked like a doofus in the process. And it was three days later when Jesus rose where there was this like, oh, oh, I see what just happened. Question, to what extent uh, do you know where to go when you need wisdom? And to the extent that you don't, what does it look like for you to find those relationships and that consistent pattern? How, how do you become a student of the text? And for others of you, maybe there's this, this acknowledgement of like, thank you, God, because I am far from perfect, but thank you, God, that, I, that I, I, know, I know truth, I know the text, I have these people. So we're gonna give you a chance this morning to, to reflect on all that through communion, bread over here, wine over here, if you've never taken this with us before, uh, the answer to the question, may I, is to the extent that you're active in your following of Jesus, yes. If you're not baptized, that's kind of blood on my hands, so we should talk about that sooner rather than later. I, I think it's really important and it's, it's a really valuable thing, but by all means. And also, it's this chance for you to bring your sin, hear God's forgiveness, and maybe also hear this like, okay, so this, that situation, uh, the answer is surrender to others. Die to self. Uh, let me pray. God, Lord, thanks for just this reminder that this life of faith that we're in, it, it doesn't just have a beginning and then an end. There's this whole middle season where we get to be partakers of your wisdom and transformed by it. God, I pray for friends here who the Bible is just this daunting thing that you would help them find the next step. For others who they're afraid of it because <clears throat> they've been abused by it, that you'd help them, just help them understand how you might lead them into a different way. God, thanks for so many in this room who've just, we're here because we want to know you and follow you and we see an absurdity to the answers that are otherwise provided and so we say thank you, God. So Jesus, we, we know this can't possibly just be about us, that we gather to be scattered. And so we say, come Holy Spirit, like take our ordinary everyday lives and send us into the world. And God, take this ordinary bread and wine and send your spirit into them and into us. Would you animate us, God, for another day, another week? We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Narrate Church, find us online at narratechurch.org or look us up on Facebook or Instagram.